0: This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal. 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb, Sycamore, covering much of central Illinois And now, of course, some of northern Illinois, and we're expanding to try and cover even more. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember that you are brought to us, or we are brought, rather, to you by you. It is your donations and your help that make it possible for Catholic Spirit Radio to be on the air. And uh, if there is any way that you can help us, we would certainly appreciate it. You can go to our website, that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. And it will tell you there how to make a donation and give you more information about us. If you do want to make a call, you can call 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And uh, you can make a donation that way, or you can find out more about us or get any of your questions answered. And uh, the the station gives you some great, great Catholic uh, news, information, shows, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, we hope you enjoy all that and uh, you're motivated to help us out because we certainly always can use it. And anything large or small is always appreciated and uh, of a great help to us. Uh, Today, I want to read from an article in uh, Chronicles Magazine. It's the May 2022 issue of Chronicles Magazine. Chronicles is put out by the Charlemagne Institute, and that institute uh, is very closely related to uh, Catholicism. Uh, a lot of the people uh, on the staff and uh, the writers and so forth, many of them are Catholics, not all, and the magazine is a traditionally uh, conservative magazine when i mean traditionally conservative uh it, it, sort of the old time uh conservative uh, type magazine and it gives things a lot of times also from uh catholic uh very much a catholic point of view but it covers uh, it has writers from you know all walks of life and various religions as well so uh we're going to talk about uh, the problem in ukraine I think Catholics need to know more about this. Uh, One of the things we need to know is how all this came about. Uh, I know most Americans certainly sympathize with the Ukrainians. Uh, These are people who were suddenly attacked, and uh, it just seems uh, like it happened almost out of nowhere and for no reason. And there are people sort of caught in the middle of things, as we'll see Uh, A lot of them are simply doing the best they can as ordinary citizens to fight for their families and their homes, their religion, their communities, and ultimately uh, their country. And so Americans have a great sympathy with that, I think, because we see ordinary people similar to ourselves able to withstand uh, against uh, professional soldiers, and maybe a lot of us uh, sort of understand that we haven't done that on our own in the same way for a long long time and it brings back uh, deep memories of our history and so there is a lot of sympathy and empathy with these people but at the same time we need to understand exactly what is happening there and uh, how the whole thing came about and so i'm going to read this article and it's from a little bit different perspective and i think it'll shed some light on exactly What's happening there and how uh, traditional Catholicism, uh, <clears throat> Orthodox Catholicism fits in with that. And I think it will be very helpful for everyone out there. Is there anything before we start, Linda, you would like to add?
1: No, because I think this is a very important t- topic that we need to get into and for people to understand. And maybe then you can watch with more, more knowledge and see what's really going on.
0: Yes, it is. And I I think this article uh, is uh, a very sympathetic, empathetic article, and it makes it very clear. The article is entitled Come Home, America. And uh, again, it's by Wayne Allensworth. And uh, he writes uh, for Chronicles and for other magazines. Uh, And uh, here's a little bit about him. Wayne Allensworth is the author of The Russian Question, Nationalism, Moderation, Modernization, and Post-Communist Russia. He's also the author of a novel called Field of Blood. And if you would like to know more about him, he writes at AmericanRemnant.com. Again, that's AmericanRemnant.com And uh, is the website that he writes at. You can go there and find out a little bit more about him. And uh, underneath the Come Home America title Uh, is a subtitle, The Proxy War in Ukraine is a Globalist Creation that has little to do with American interests. So we'll go from there, and maybe we can understand a little bit more about how this came about and uh, why the poor Ukrainian people uh, are under such a a vicious attack. But uh, it goes on. It says, Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision... To launch a special military operation in Ukraine was aimed at overthrowing the current authorities in Kiev, blocking NATO expansion eastward and defending the pro-Russian regions of Ukraine and demilitarizing that country, removing any current or future threats to Russian <coughs> security in that region. In those terms, the decision for war, as aggressive and ill-advised and dangerous as it was, is nevertheless readily explicable. Putin's faithful decision has not surprisingly prompted a firestorm of anti-Russian propaganda in Western mass media, reminiscent of the disinformation campaign to which we were subjected prior to the 2003 Iraq War. The globalist Washington-Brussels media corporate nexus hereafter, which I will call the blob, or you can also call it the swamp or the deep state, has worked itself into a characteristic fit of hysteria, this time trumpeting its claims repeatedly that Putin is yet another reincarnation of Hitler, a deranged tyrant who is an existential threat to democracy. The blob does, in fact, viscerally hate Putin and Russia as intolerable intolerable impediments to the global expansion of what it calls democracy, that is, woke, anarcho-tyranny. And that hostility is an extension of their hatred for middle middle America. And you can see a lot of that in when President Trump was in office. As soon as he was elected, because they understood that Trump, his policy, with the idea of make America great again and reaching back to our past, and his nationalistic outlook uh, and his uh, desire to form a better relationship with Russia and Putin really <laughs> riled up their anger. And the, Trump was attacked from the very, very beginning. And that's one of the reasons he was attacked. And it seems the globalists, the Davos, that is uh, the organization in Davos, you know, uh, Switzerland, uh, the world organization, the liberal organization uh, of globalists are certain that their whole idea of globalism and the, the uh, uh, elimination of nationalism is uh, the, the wave of the future, and they are pushing that, and this is what we're talking about here. Uh,
1: <clears throat> Maybe a little more explanation on Davos to a lot of people that don't, don't know or aren't familiar with Davos, but they are very wealthy, influential people that get together at least once a year over in Switzerland, in that area, in the Davos area, and they make decisions that affect the rest of us, well, how, um, how everything is done in the countries, and they believe in a one, one world government.
0: Right. The New World Order and the whole idea of eliminating nationalism, eliminating nations, uh, and having a global world, sort of a technocratic world. So I'll go on here. At the same time, many of our countrymen on the right, mainly Trump supporters, have tended to view Putin as the kind of decisive leader for which they have long waited, and they have thus taken a pro-Russian position. So... Some people have taken a position in favor of Putin and some people have taken a position against him. It's now clear that in the collective high mind of the woke, as well as in the popular imagination of the deplorables, Ukraine has become a battleground for a proxy war. Each side has chosen its good guy, champion, and its bad guy, nemesis. Dear readers, we should not put our trust in princes, And exactly that is what the church would say, is we shouldn't put our trust in princes. We certainly should put our trust in God, and especially foreign surrogates. Putin is not a latter-day Prince Vladimir the Great, and Vladimir Zelensky is not a second Winston Churchill. Uh, It is neither, you know, it is not 1939, Some Americans apparently view the tragic war in Ukraine as an opportunity to indulge in Rambo fantasies, and that's dangerous for us all. The battle lines are not always clearly drawn. A significant portion of my middle American friends and neighbors, for example, still react on cue to knee-jerk anti-Russian propaganda if it is wrapped in an American flag and sold by Fox News. It is understandable that some Americans, who themselves feel besieged at home, lend their sympathy to the underdog, Ukrainians, patriots fighting to defend their native soil. And it's just as understandable that other Americans recognize in Moscow a formidable opponent of the blob, and therefore lend their support to Russia. I would caution my fellow deplorables on either side of this conflict, however, against emotionally investing so much in a fight that is not our own. We'll need that energy for our own battles. In my view, Ukraine's best chance for freedom and stability would be as a neutral state. Russian security concerns must be taken seriously. The anti-national, ideologically driven blob, however, cannot even imagine the concept of national interests and cannot, therefore, think in terms of a traditional balance of power. But it's important for us to understand how this all came about. And there we're at the crux of the whole matter, and that's what I want this article mainly to concentrate on. How did this come about? How is it that all of a sudden we find ourselves... Uh, involved in a war between Ukraine and Russia and how did Putin get involved and why the vicious and savage attack on Ukraine. What brought this about? The fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 was a signal moment in modern history. To all intents and purposes, the Cold War with the Soviets was over. We would hear talk of a post Cold War peace dividend, a decrease in the vast army of American military commitments. We had borne the burden of doing battle for the free world, and it appeared that there was a chance America would come home. It was not to be. The Soviet Union remained standing, but was fragile, reeling from Soviet reformer Mikhail Gorbachev's policies of glasnost openness and perestroika restructuring, which had unleashed a firestorm of previously pent-up popular frustrations concerning the Soviet Union's traumatic totalitarian past and the failure of Soviet socialism. The Soviet economy was also in shambles. Moscow was losing its Eastern European satellites and nationalism was pulling the US, USSR apart at the seams. In other words, a lot of these satellites, all of these, these smaller countries, such as Ukraine, uh, Lithuania, uh, Poland, and uh, other countries, were going back to their own national roots. And, of course, that was pulling apart what was you know, ostensibly the Soviet Empire. And uh, Russia was in convulsions, the uh, so, so Soviets, and, and then, of course, Russia itself – was in convulsions because of all of this. The failed 1991 anti-Gorbachev coup was the last gasp of a moribund Soviet nomenclature, meaning the people who ran Russia, the of the people in power. The Soviet Union collapsed in December of that fateful year. And if I can remember, for those that remember, that was about 30 years ago, uh, this happened. And there was a great optimism, of course, among us all, Uh, that now there would be a whole new realignment of Europe, the Cold War would be over, we would spend way less money on the uh, Cold War and on our military, and uh, maybe we could develop a good relationship with the Soviet Union. All of these things were on the horizon. None of them were to be. The Soviet economy imploded. The ruble became worthless. Jobs evaporated. And crime, disorder, and corruption were rampant. Life expectancy plummeted in post-Soviet Russia. The long-standing Russian curse, alcoholism, became endemic in Russian life. Abortion substantially exceeded births. Suicide soared, and law enforcement collapsed, along with the unkept utopian promises of a failed system. Nearly one year after the Great Collapse, your faithful observer, was in Vladivostok in Russia's far east on the Sea of Japan, Bay of the Golden Horn. Vladivostok was formerly the home of the Soviet Pacific Fleet. At the time I was there, the rusting hulks of the newly formed Russian Navy were abandoned in their docks, listing and lifeless. I walked past them on a cold day in November, and they looked like bizarre modern sculptures, unguarded unwanted a gallery with an audience of one the whole scene sort of reminds me for you people who have seen uh, the hunt for red october sort of reminds me of the beginning of the hunt for red october uh when we have the cap captain of uh, the russian ship red october looking out over the water in the north of russia there and uh, talking about uh, how bleak and cold and hard it was and that's sort of the scene that uh Uh, comes to mind when you read this description uh, by Wayne uh, Allensworth and what he saw when he was there in in Vladivostok as the fall of the Soviet Union took place. So we're going to stop here and take a break, and we'll come back and we'll continue on with this article and see if if we can understand how this whole tragedy, this whole monstrous thing all came about so stay with us we'll be right back you've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio the Shroud of Turin
2: is believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus Holy Trinity Church is bringing the Man of the Shroud exhibit to Bloomington this includes over 60 illustrations of historic and forensic studies graphics and the awe-inspiring full-size replica of the Shroud all ages are invited to view this stirring exhibit
3: this exhibit has been extended to include this weekend May 13th through Sunday May 15th.
2: For more details, check their website or contact Holy Trinity Church in Bloomington.
0: Catholic Spirit Radio appreciates your donations. Some of you can mail them or drop them off at 108 Boykins in Normal. Others of you click the donation button found on our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Large or small, we appreciate them all. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking about the war in Ukraine, and we're talking about how the whole thing came about. I'm reading from an article entitled Come Home America by Wayne Allensworth, and uh, it is, occurs in Chronicles Magazine, and it's the uh, May 2022 you know, the current issue of Chronicles Magazine. And in it, he is attempting to explain how this whole situation came about and uh, as a better understanding uh, for our Americans and especially Catholics. It's it's put out, the magazine is put out by the uh, Charlemagne Institute, which leans highly Catholic. And uh, also, the Pope has commented on this, as my wife will mention as we go along when we talk again about the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance, NATO. Or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, I should say. That's what NATO stands for. And that organization was formed during the Cold War with Russia as a means of people on the West, the side of the West, opposing the further expansion of Russia as Russia was swallowing up a lot of small countries and creating a Soviet empire and pushing the whole idea of Marxism and communism. And of course, that all came to an end finally in 1991 when we the united states won that cold war and uh, expected uh, so much and uh, to come about because of our winning it and this article is attempting to explain what happened after that and uh, why uh, those things didn't come about and why uh, vladimir putin so viciously attacked uh, ukraine and probably uh, of course did it with different expectations, and it turned out to be uh, a uh, blunder, but nevertheless, uh, we need to understand why and how it came about. He goes on here, he's talking about being at the naval base in Vladivostok, the Russian Pacific Fleet was there, and he's talking about what it looked like after Russia fell. You know, when the whole country was in just convulsions, and when there was tremendous unemployment, alcoholism going on and uh, people all over in a bad, bad way. He says, At the naval base on nearby Ruski Rusky Island, Russian sailors had gone unfed as their officers failed to provide them rations for months. Some of them actually starved to death. A winter storm had frozen Vladivostok. The streets were covered with ice and packed snow. The power grid failed, and without heat the residents of Vladivostok had begun dismantling dismantling wooden structures to use as heating fuel. Police were deployed to prevent complete chaos. A week later, I was in Moscow. Beggars were quite common. Amputees, destitute pensioners, old war veterans wearing their threadbare uniforms and tarnished medals. Through it all, I know that the goodwill of many of the Russians I met, people who seemed glad that the Cold War, was, Cold War was finally behind us. They welcomed Americans and hoped for friendship between our countries. That was an opportunity America would miss, and it has damaged both countries. The emotional warmth I sensed would not survive the shock therapy economic policies of the Russian government, which, on the recommendation of Western advisors, had gone all in on neoliberal reforms, lifting price controls, and beginning the massive sell-off of Soviet-era assets. This was this whole idea of so, moving all at once to a so-called free market, and uh, it was, simply was not viable and it left Russia in worse chaos than it was in before the whole thing started. The wild 90s traumatized the Russian people in ways Westerners failed to fully understand at the time. There is also the historic Russian distrust of the West, the flip side of the goodwill I had seen so often in the early stage of Yeltsin-era Russia. By the end of the 90s, with NATO bombing targets in Serbia, and a traditional Russian ally, Boris Yeltsin made his displeasure known to friend Bill, as he called President Clinton. Because Clinton was ordering the bombing of uh, Serbia, and uh, Serbia was an ally of Russia. And at, <clears throat> at any rate, uh, his, his protests... Uh, Yeltsin's protests were to no avail. No one listened to him. NATO expanded eastward toward the borders of a weakened Russia, though the Russians had been told informally by American officials that that would not happen. Relations with the West would continue to go downhill for some time, but a turning point was reached when an ailing Yeltsin resigned on New Year's Eve 1999 Elevating Prime Minister Vladimir Putin into the presidency. In 1989, Francis Fukuyama published an essay in the national interest that would become a widely discussed book in 1992. The book was called The End of History and the Last Man, a blueprint of sorts for globalist ideology, that is, for woke ideology. This whole idea of a new world order, this whole idea of the end of nationalism, the end of nations, and uh, a new globalist world order. Uh, The European Union was sort of a part of this. The whole idea that the whole world would join in a whole new relationship. There would be no more uh, independent nations. Uh, There would be, in effect, a (coughs) wide one-world government. This was the whole dream and idea, and still is. Uh, the globalists of what we call, you know, from a conservative point of view, wokes or wokeism. What Fukuyama posited wasn't that all of life's struggle, strife, and achievement, what most of us think of as history, would end. But that that human development had reached an endpoint. In other words, the apex of the evolution of mankind's social, economic, and political development had been attained in liberal democracy, a concept that has since morphed into what we recognize today as woke politics and corporate globalism. We can also call this, you know, what we call it, big tech. You could call it big farm. You could call it big uh, corporations, big government. The whole idea is sort of almost on a Chinese model that big tech, big corp, in conjunction with uh, world rulers would now rule all of mankind and the world in some kind of a whole new world order, and that if you didn't go along with this, somehow or another you were on the wrong side of history. And a country that was still nationalist, and Russia is very, very nationalist, the Russian people are very, very attached to their country and their soil. And if you didn't go along with this, then you were uh, on the wrong side, And not only on the wrong side, but you were sort of a pro-Russian, pro-fascist type of a person, sort of almost a terrorist in and of yourself. And, of course, this is what Trump was branded for being a nationalist, and people who opposed this whole so-called New World Order were considered the same. The post-nationalist elite that had emerged following the Cold War disdain the nation-state, that is, us, which the global managers envisioned as withering away. Sounds something like Marxism, doesn't it? Marxists Marxists believed that the state would wither away and Marxists would rule the world. And it seems as if the globalists now assume that nations will wither away and somehow the globalists will rule the world. Seems like a switcher.
1: (coughs) Yes, but they fail to realize that people are bound in their cultures, different cultures to their nationalism. It's important to people to have that identity.
0: Yes, it is. I mean, the state, uh, it seems the globalists don't understand that there is a mystical, and I'm using that word in its best sense, that there is a mystical attachment to your culture and your nation and your people and your state that uh, people want and need, and that uh, everyone has no desire to live as some kind of vagabond bouncing around the world with lots of money and simply living in a world of nothing but consumption, that people are attached to their churches, they're attached to the idea of God, that they believe that there is something more than material, and there is this dichotomy between the two, between, uh, globalism, that is wokeism, and, uh, what the ordinary citizens believe in and see. It goes on here, it says, uh, at any rate, the post-national elite that had emerged following the Cold War disdained a nation-state, which the globalist managers envisioned withering away as transnational institutions and a new global citizenry displaced the distinct peoples and national identities. And this is what many people resist, this idea of this whole new global citizenry. Instead of people to their homes, their communities, their countries, the people that speak the same language they do and believe in the same things they do and the same religions they do, there's an opposition between these two. According to the globalist gospel, consumerism would satisfy every human need. And uh, again, this is big tech and uh, sort of a new... Whole idea of Marxism that the nations and the people attached to them would sort of wither away and uh, become sort of like uh, non attached beings, totally individualist, uh, not attached to communities, families, or people. Uh, at any rate, it says that uh, they would settle into their role as cogs in a vast economic machine, one unimpeded by traditional boundaries moral precepts, and oppressive social institutions. So went the theory. And this is what uh, tradition and traditionalism, and this, I think, is what also uh, the Orthodox or traditional Catholic religion fights. Old-fashioned patriots mocked Fukuyama, partly misunderstanding his thesis, but also misunderstanding the whole nature of the Cold War itself traditionalists had viewed the battle as one against godless communism a fight to protect traditional values and socioeconomic structures but they had allied themselves with a liberal left nexus that had tightened its hold on the west with a victory in a different war the one against nazism and fascism in other words it is the liberal movement that actually won the war against hitler and won the war uh, against uh, Mussolini, that is in Italy, fascism, and uh, won the war against Stalinism. But most people at the time didn't recognize this leftist liberal uh, movement this, as a globalist progressive movement. They they identified it with their own goals. They identified this movement against Hitler and this movement against uh, Stalin and this movement in, this, in the World War II they identified that as something that was supporting what they believed in—that is, home, patriotism, uh, the you know their religion, their culture, uh, their fellow citizens, their communities. They identified it along those lines, and many, of course, still do, and don't understand what was going on here. Uh, the victory in that war solidified liberalism's ideology, ideological triumph in the West. And further extended its cultural and social reach in popular entertainment, in education, and the corporate world. And, uh, you know, for a long time, if you can remember back uh, from the 1950s through the 60s and 70s on, liberalism seemed to be a liberating movement, a movement that was actually extending liberty to more people. And uh, it was the right side to be on, and it was going in the right direction. It had defeated... uh, The forces uh, uh, opposing it in World War II, and everyone thought it was moving on to a better world and probably a better relationship with the Soviet Union, that it had won the battle against uh, the Cold War as well. And it was a good thing to follow. And so uh, when it began going in different directions, it was confusing and has taken a while for people to understand what has been going on, and there still is a lot of confusion over this situation yet today. It says, uh, a liberal left-long march to our institutions would marginalize and later practically outlaw anything that even vaguely resembled a genuine right in America. That is a genuine traditional conservatism. Fascism, a word which the liberal left would take to mean any manifestations of what is considered dangerous, of what is considered a a bad impulse like patriotism or religious and social conservatism, had been defeated. Right-wingers were on the wrong side of history. Any doubts about the globalist developments were suspect in the eyes of post-national elites. And this is a lot where we are today. Somehow or another, it's been... Uh, extended to extremes, anyone who seems to assert a, a the idea that the United States fought and won wars and battles in the Cold War to preserve religion, to preserve culture, to preserve patriotism, to preserve its history, to preserve its communities, to preserve what had Anyone who believes that along this line is considered by the globalists and the progressive elites is considered a fascist. And that word is a very, very difficult word to define. It it, it seems to cover everything. Uh, anything that the, the globalists, uh, the modern liberals don't like is simply labeled fascist. Uh, it's gotten to the point where if a person complains to his school board for teaching his children things he doesn't want taught uh, about sex or uh, about his history or about race, uh, then that person is somehow a fascist terrorist, and he's labeled. And this is uh, what's going on uh, in the world today. Those who fail to get the globalist memo will become the nucleus of the deplorable pushback against the blob world leaders who rejected woke politics and globalism, such as Putin and Hungary's Viktor Orban, were included with Donald Trump on the blog's blacklist of Hitler's drones. And that brings us back to what I mentioned in the very beginning. As soon as Hitler, I mean, as soon as as, uh, Trump began to... uh, bring back the idea of an America that fought for its own culture, for its own patriotism, for its own nation, for its own people uh, against uh, a sort of runaway liberalism like communism were beginning to be called fascists and Trump was actually put into a category like Hitler or Stalin or uh, uh, Mussolini and uh, was on the Blob's blacklist and it was actually – Made to be associated somehow with a Russia that uh, was acting along the same kind of lines and Russia Russia began to be denounced you know as some kind of a fascist state, which it wasn't any longer. And uh, people on that side defending those kinds of things that Putin was defending were considered people who were in league with Putin and considered uh, to be on the so-called extreme right-wing or fascist side. So we're going to stop here and take a break, and we'll come back and uh, finish the article in the next segment. So stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio.
0: Catholic Spirit Radio appreciates your donations. Some of you can mail them or drop them off at 108 Boykins in Normal. Others of you, click the donation button found on our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Large or small, we appreciate them all.
2: Shroud of Turin is believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. Holy Trinity Church is bringing the Man of the Shroud exhibit to Bloomington. This includes over 60 illustrations of historic and forensic studies, graphics, and the awe-inspiring full-size replica of the Shroud. All ages are invited to view this stirring exhibit.
3: This exhibit has been extended to include this weekend, May 13th through Sunday, May 15th. For more
2: details, check their website or contact Holy Trinity Church in Bloomington.
0: Hi, this is Bob Johnston, Listen to Being Catholic, right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and we're talking about what the events were and what's been happening to uh, bring the whole war in Ukraine about and uh, what's going on in it and uh, how we got associated with it and to try and understand it in uh, better terms, different terms than is being presented to us throughout most of the news and uh, throughout uh, maybe our history of looking back at Russia through the lens of the Cold War. Uh, we're talking here about Putin and uh, Viktor Orban and from Hungary and Donald Trump all being on the blobs, that is, the swamps, or if you want to call it that, uh, or the deep state's blacklist, that is, the globalists who are in favor of a whole new world order, labeling anyone who tries to defend the world order of nationalism and and, uh, patriotism and attachment to your own culture and language as somehow fascist. It goes on here, it says, But Putin is neither Hitler nor Stalin, the truth is that he isn't even Brezhnev, another uh, Soviet leader who was, uh, uh, you know, at at the time when Russia was still pushing the idea of Marxism and communism. It goes on here, it says, as Patrick Buchanan, and Patrick Buchanan was a a conservative uh, pundit, a conservative um, politician. Uh, who ran for president uh, back at uh, one time here, some number of years ago, uh, on a very conservative ticket, not the what we would consider a modern conservative ticket, but the very old uh, conservative ticket? And it says As Patrick Buchanan has reminded us, during the Cold War, the American administration did not believe that countering the Soviet invasions of Hungary in 1956 or Czechoslovakia in 1968 were matters of vital American interest. In other words, we didn't, at that time, run around the world every time there was a uh, something to happen that went against what uh, we would consider, you know, the direction we were going. It wasn't always considered a huge interest that we didn't have this idea that we had to run to the defense of any every nation that was somehow or another. Uh, opposed by somebody who was a foe of us, and we seem to have that now. In other words, the country tried to act more in its own national interest, but it seems as with globalism and the wokists, you know, the woke people, our natural interests our national interest is disappearing. It seems like we're acting in the interest of everybody else uh, except ourselves. Then there was a sense of America's geopolitical limits. Washington recognized that Hungary and Czechoslovakia had fallen under Moscow's sphere of influence, and nobody was going to risk World War III to do anything about that. But are we risking risking World War III now over a country you know, as such as Ukraine, despite the fact that we can identify with what's happening to those poor people there? In fact, four years after the Czech invasion, President Richard Nixon went to Moscow to negotiate arms limitations with the Kremlin. Clearly, easing tensions and controlling nuclear weapons was in the American interest. Even in the 1990s, venerable wise men like George Kennan and Paul Nietzsche opposed expanding NATO, strongly favoring a new approach to security policy that would account for Russian interests. Kennan considered the author of Cold War containment policy. In other words, he was the man who actually was in charge of a lot of Cold War containment policy. He was a person who actually helped bring NATO into existence. But at that time, he said that expanding NATO eastward would be a fateful error. And I think my wife Lynn wants to talk about someone else who says that expanding NATO eastward could be a fatal error.
1: Yes, and that somebody else is none other than Pope Francis. In this present day right now, 10 days ago, about, uh, came out and said that NATO, the expansion of NATO, is putting us all at great risk. And he lends his voice to this opposition too. And I think this is one of the instances I really do support him. And you can't surround somebody like another country completely and cut it off from everything else and expect peace. My God, we wouldn't even let the Soviets build a base in Cuba. We almost had a nuclear war over that when... uh, We were young. You know, this was in the 1960s. You you just can't do that.
0: Like I say, Kennan himself, who was a person who was actually involved in creating NATO, NATO was supposed to be an organization to stop the spread of uh, communism and to stop the spread in power and the empire of the Soviet Union from spreading any further. But if this can work in reverse. I mean Putin sees the same thing. Putin is no longer in, in, no longer a communist. And the fact is, is that he is a nationalist and NATO is being used, according to this article and we'll go on here, to advance the whole woke one world a new world order ideology, you know, being on the right side of history. And, uh, of course, it's against Putin and it's against the Soviet Union because the people there are nationalists and the people there are not about to want to be sucked into the new world order. And uh, so so, uh, Putin sees this as aggression and he sees himself being encircled. And uh, we see even today NATO being extended into Finland. I mean, NATO has been recently extended into Lithuania. It's been recently extended into Poland. Uh, it's being extended into all kinds of countries that were once actually satellites of Russia and surrounding Russia. And uh, Putin is determined not to allow that. And, of course, uh, it was being a, it pushed to be extended into Ukraine. And uh, the Ukrainian government, you have to remember, uh, that was existed in 2014 was uh, dumped and we were involved in actually uh, change of
1: government uh, yes. right
0: right change of regimes uh we were involved in that and uh, you know putin opposed this and he's been warning and warning and warning and so you know these are some of the things that are bringing about that war so let me go on and finish the article here it says kenan and the otherwise men were correct but they were ignored without excusing russia's invasion of ukraine we should acknowledge that we are now seeing the cost of ignoring Kennan's warnings. What's more, no one in authority seems to recall the destructive results when the Western Allies humiliated a defeated foe following World War I. In other words, the Allies, the Treaty of Versailles, humiliated Germany. And what happened? It led to World War II and the Cold War victory uh, in the Cold War. Victory in the Cold War was only precipitated; has only precipitated a new conflict. Uh, in a sense, World War III has already begun, with Russia, China, India, and much of the global South aligning against the Washington, Brussels, Davos axis. Prior to the outbreak of war, Putin's main demand was a written guarantee that NATO would not expand any further eastward and that demand was rejected out of hand. Russia has always feared encirclement, and the Globocrats seem determined to make that fear a reality. Anyone who watched Putin's speeches prior to the invasion of Ukraine has had a glimpse of the anti-Western and militaristic tendencies in Russia that have been inflamed by NATO expansion, not to mention by Washington's regime change operations support for revolutions in the former Soviet states, Western-backed attempts to undermine Putin domestically, U.S. financed bio labs experimenting with dangerous pathogens in Ukraine, and we still have those labs there even in the midst of this war, and even insane calls for Putin's assassination by Senator Lindsey Graham. And Graham is still the one that is actually pushing Uh, along with Democrats, for this $40 billion to be given to Ukraine to help defeat Putin. So, why is Russia's reaction a surprise to anyone? If you push far enough, you'll react, even though it was a bad reaction on Putin's part. The scale of the blobs' hubris, hypocrisy, and arrogance is staggering. The globalists care nothing for Ukraine, which is but a pawn in their dangerous game. They have been using that country as a means of underbinding Putin's regime, placing Ukraine in the Kremlin's crosshairs. In 2013, for instance, Putin offered Kiev generous economic terms to keep Ukraine out of the Western fold. The overthrow of President Viktor Yankovych, who had decided to accept Putin's terms, followed. The street rebellion was egged on by American officials including Senator John McCain, who were already subverting a government Washington recognized as legitimate. Of course, it was all supposedly done for the cause of freedom. That's just one incident, among others, that set the wheels in motion for the crisis we are seeing today. In other words, Putin was being pushed and pushed and pushed. America was not acting in its own interest. It was not recognizing that its sphere of influence didn't exist everywhere. It wasn't recognizing that other countries and other nations had their own agendas and their own idea of what was good for their particular area of the world, and that uh, we were not uh, up to interfering in everything and getting into all these things, but we had this globalist movement, this whole idea of a whole new world order. And... uh, this whole new world order was supposed to be the good guys. In fact, when President Biden was vice president under Obama's regime, under the Obama administration, he came out and said that we're the good guys. In other words, when people opposed some of the things that the Obama administration was doing to actually uh, entice Russia and to uh, irritate Russia... And to bring a reaction from Russia, uh, Putin tried to just—I mean, Biden tried to justify it by saying we're the good guys, like we we're, they were on the right side. Uh, but the fact is, is that when Putin uh, reacted, Obama to Obama's lines drawn in the sand, Obama did nothing. He let Putin get away with it, and that's another uh, aspect that we need to take into consideration: that uh, the bear was being poked and poked and poked. And yet when the bear finally reacted, nothing was done. And it might have set up Putin for the blunder that he has made going into Ukraine, thinking that he could get in there and get this over with very quickly and things would go his way and he would restore a government that was more favorable to uh, Moscow and that it would not be so hard to do because of what happened under the Obama administration. So those are things also. But the fact is, is should the wokeists have been poking the Russian bear in the first place, and interfering in areas of the world in which uh, it, it was somebody else's business, simply because they were opposed to nationalism. It is the Davis Politburo and its deep state minions who are mounting a fervent ideological crusade, not Russia. But in the narrow muddled minds of these elites, they view themselves as the good guys. And those who reject globalism as the bad guys. And that's what was going on in 2014 under the uh, Obama administration. NATO can't be a threat as they see it because it is good and on the right side of history. Anyone who would view NATO's expansion as a potential threat or as against American interest is somehow evil. In other words, as against global expansion of the globalists is somehow evil. And so that's why they consider Putin and anyone who supports Putin or wants to make a better relationship with Putin as being on the side of evil. They are true believers in globalization. Made evident as well by their relentless war against historical America as a direct distinct nation. That war, not Russia, is the real threat to us. Globalists do not do not acknowledge that we, the middle Americans who have provided much of the cannon fodder for their wars of choice, have any legitimate interests or concerns just as they deny the same for other countries. Whatever the outcome of the conflict in Ukraine, we should hope it is not one the blob can consider a victory for that would likely mean even more foreign interventions, more support for revolutions, and more destructive hubris from the usual suspects creating still more enemies for America. I would add that it will also likely mean an even more intense crackdown on so-called domestic terrorists, meaning people with right-wing views who will be labeled Russian agents. Do ordinary Americans not realize that transnational corporations intent on canceling Russia today could easily cancel them tomorrow? Post-Communist Russia is not our enemy, but the blob and the global oligarchs are. It is not Vladimir Putin who is dissolving our uh, borders, rendering American citizenship meaningless, and supporting Antifa and Black Lives Matter. It is not Putin who is seeking to suppress political dissent in the U.S. It is not Putin who is promoting critical race theory in our schools, or browbeating us about invisible and ill-defined structural racism. It is not Putin who is attempting to defame American history, destroy our historic monuments, and promote gender fluidity to our children. Unlike the destiny of Ukraine, what's happening at what used to be our southern border is of vital interest to our people, and is indeed related to the blob's efforts to erase the nation as such, replacing us in the process. It is disheartening to see how passionately engaged many Americans are over Ukraine. Showing a level of anger and intensity I seldom see displayed over the fate of their own country and the fate of their own people. Come home, America. It's the only home we have. And that is the end of the article. And any comments, Lynn?
1: Oh, I think it's a good article. And I think that um, he's hit the mark, you know, he's hit it. You see what's going on in our own country. He ends by saying that and comparing it to the interference before, you know, and that's been going on in other countries. It's hitting us now. Prices are going up. You can't get baby f- uh, formula, everything. Yet somebody's got, got access to it, and it's a government.
0: Exactly. Uh, (laughs) People
1: coming over the border get whatever they want.
0: Right. We have our border being violated. We have people coming over the border being taken care of and put ahead of Americans. We have our history being attacked. We have uh, our statues being torn down. We have our crime that is being increased and going on and on, worse and worse. We have inflation. We have shortages. We have a supply struggle. All of this is designed for one thing. It is to eliminate our country as a nation, to eliminate our country. Uh, We have marriage being destroyed. We have our families being destroyed. We have the whole idea of transgender, homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage, if you want to call it that. The idea that uh, there there really isn't any such thing as a man or a woman, woman. the the whole idea of wiping out the family, this whole idea of replacing everything with some kind of new world order in which all of us will fit into it as some kind of cogs working for a machine, something based on the order of uh, the way Chinese runs uh, it. It's not communism. It's a form of capitalism, if you want to call it that, in which the big technocratic companies are in bed with the deep state And anyone who stands in the way of that is called a fascist or a terrorist. And many of the people in our country are still looking at Russia in the old sense and not understanding that Russia has returned to a nationalistic path and is resisting this wokeism and resisting being encircled uh, especially uh, by what uh, type of a new world order that it opposes. So maybe that is uh, helpful in trying to understand what's going on in the war in Ukraine and how this whole tragedy came about and uh, why we have to end this whole globalist idea and why the Pope has pointed out himself that the expansion of NATO, and NATO is now actually being used to expand wokeism and being used to expand the whole global uh, world order. And that's what's being opposed, and our own pope recognizes that and uh, hope that uh, we can get some pushback on that. So at any rate, I hope this is uh, informative and people understand better what's going on there. We're running out of time. So St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan, and all evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen.
3: You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston. On Catholic Spirit Radio, if you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at com. Again, that's bob at com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3 and all donations are tax deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio,